It's a privilege to be here. This is uh, an amazing weekend. The weather is fantastic. We did a little leaf raking at our property yesterday, and uh, I thought I made some serious progress, and then I looked at the lawn this morning, and I'm like, what? It's like nothing actually happened yesterday. So this is, we've got 12 maple trees on our property, so there is a lot of leaves. I think I, I'd probably, uh, we're near the, yeah, it's near the record, I would say, of leaf raking in terms of Abbotsford households, but uh, it's a fun time of year. We've got this series on the Holy Spirit, and this morning we're going to look at the Holy Spirit's work in salvation. A little while ago, my parent, uh, my parent, my kids bought me a uh, gift certificate to uh, uh, jump off a cliff, and uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's the insurance money or what, but anyway, so they got this gift certificate. I had to redeem it by July the 15th. So there's an outfit down the valley. They take you to the top of the hill, and then they put you on a parachute, and you run off a cliff. It's crazy, isn't it? It sounds crazy. I don't know why I did it, but I did. So anyway, so you get up there. Uh, well, actually, before I got up there, I went to the, uh, the office where they get you to sign a waiver. That's actually the main reason you go to the office is just to sign this thing. And uh, the problem was is I walked up, the man who was... The owner, he was walking like this. And uh, I was very curious, like, why do you walk like that? Uh, what happened? He said, well, uh, we had uh, a customer about four days ago. I explained this to all the customers. When you come here, uh, we attach you to the parachute and a pilot behind you, and your job as the customer is to run run as fast as you can off of the cliff because your running is going to billow up this big parachute, really light nylon, and then it's going to fill with air, and then when you go off the cliff, you've actually you've got, you've got some, some control because that thing's full of air. And, but if, if it's not full of air and you're off a cliff, I mean, you're just off a cliff. So, um, you know, so I'm like, okay, I, 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 I got... My eyes are very big. I'm, I'm listening, you know, acutely at this point. He said, I had this customer, explain all this to him, and, and we started, you know, he said, go, and this customer's running, and then, he, you know, he had second thoughts. He's like, what am I doing? I'm going to run off a cliff? Am I crazy? And he stops at the end, like puts the brakes on, and they get all tangled up. He said, somehow the guy landed on me and ro- rocks and stuff, so his whole side of his leg was bruised and his back, and... I'm like, oh, so what did you do? He said, I got up, I looked at the customer. I said, that didn't go well. (laughs) No. Would you like to try that again? I said, you actually said that to the customer? You went a second time with that guy? He said, yeah. We got back up, we straightened out all the lines, And the second time, he ran right off the cliff, and we had a great jump. I thought, that is the definition of grace, isn't it? Like Jesus looks at us and goes, that didn't go well. Would you like to try that again? Yeah, I would. That's grace. So anyways, I get up there, you know, and they put a gal who's my pilot behind me. She was 100 pounds max, 
And uh, so I don't think she, she did not ever touch the ground. She was like a little backpack on my back. <laughs> and I started running. And all I'm thinking is don't stop, don't stop. So I ran right off the cliff. Marjorie was up there taking pictures and video and stuff. So I ran off the cliff. I did not stop running. I'm in the air. We're way out over the cliff now. I'm still running. So this lady's like, stop, stop, stop running. I'm like, okay, are, are we good? Yeah, we're good, okay, great. And then I had this phenomenal jump. Later on, they called me up because I'd shown them the pictures that Marjorie had taken after the jump. And they said, could you send us that picture of you running in the air? Because we'd like to submit that for the paragliding calendar competition. I could be Mr. April or May or something like that. Just perfect form in the air. Crazy. So this, this parachute is out over the forested area, and there is a, uh, the pilot is aiming towards a clear-cut zone where they know there is a thermal, and this is what they're, they're, they're heading for. A thermal is an area where the air is being heated and it's rising. Now, I can't see it. I had no idea there was thermals, you know, off of this cliff. But, but they're, they're trained to kind of know where these things are. Obviously, a thermal's not coming off of a lot of greenery. It's not coming off of water. It's going to come off of roads. Pavement is phenomenal for thermals. Clear-cut areas, the sides of mountains, air is being pushed up. So all of these things, completely unseen, but powerful. So we head down towards this clear-cut area, and we, she's got an altometer. It just goes beep for every one meter that you rise. So when we're drifting down, there's nothing, there's no sound. We're drifting down, and we're going over to this area, and we go to this clear cut, and we, she starts circling around it, and I hear the first beep, 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 and then we're riding like an unseen elevator. We're just circling, and we're going up and up and up and up until we're higher than the jump point. Unbelievable. The power of this thermal. It's a great metaphor for me in terms of the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. When I gave my life to Christ, I jumped off a cliff. Scary? You bet. I said, I'm now all in. I'm going to trust that someone else has got me. I'm going to trust that someone else has got everything about me. This could be the worst decision I ever made. I'm going for it. I see people having a lot of fun up there and I want this. You remember the first time you felt the Holy Spirit? A visible, like physical reality of the Holy Spirit? I was five years old. I was in a meeting. My parents had me go to church. It was a deeper life week. I went to church every night. I remember that. We normally went to church once a week. This week, it's all night. I mean, it's all week, every night. 
other friends were going. I said, I'm not really excited about this, but I'm going to go. I didn't have a choice. So I'm sitting in the pew with my parents, and there's a guy named Rudy Boschman speaking. He was the pastor of this church for many years. Rudy Boschman loved the Holy Spirit. That week, I sensed something was different. I've been to church many times, you know, but something was different. I had this awareness that some other presence was in the room, and I began to cry. First time I remember crying in church. And I was aware of my need of God. At the end of that evening, I said, Mom, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. I, I want this. Because the Holy Spirit was drawing me. I want to take you to a story in John chapter 3, which describes the work of the Holy Spirit in salvation. It's the story of a Jewish leader named Nicodemus. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Now this is a conversation at night. It wasn't happening at night because his day was full of other appointments. It was happening at night because he didn't want anyone to know he was meeting with Jesus. Why? Because he could lose everything. He's a member of the Jewish leading council, the Sanhedrin. He's a teacher recognized as someone who understands the law of Moses and can explain how to live it, all those 600 plus laws. He, he knows them all. He's a faithful follower of Moses. He's talking to Jesus at night because Jesus is in opposition to that whole system. He's teaching a whole nother Another way of knowing God. People are watching his miracles, they're listening to his teaching, and they're becoming increasingly threatened by what he's saying, in particular the Jewish leadership. And so Nicodemus has something at stake here. He can lose his position in the Sanhedrin, he can lose his status in society. As this story plays out, you could even lose your life having these kind of conversations with Jesus. I love a high-cost gospel. I love a high-cost gospel. And when the gospel gets presented in places like this, where you can lose everything, it becomes crystal clear that when you enter the kingdom of God, 
You let go of whatever you were a part of before that, and it's Jesus or nothing. I was in a conversation at night with a Muslim leader in northern Iraq this summer. I spent some time in Iraq and the Middle East with my friend Samir. And he was doing evangelism, kind of open-air meetings. We had a, rented a hall there in, in Erbil, northern Iraq. And uh, the second night, a man came up to be prayed for. There's hundreds of people getting prayed for. It was one of those crazy set of meetings where just people are responding to God. Salvation, freedom from darkness, and all kinds of healing stuff. It was a crazy, crazy four days. Second night, this man comes forward. I could tell he had, he had authority. And he said, pray that I don't fall back into Islam. Well, I find out he's one of the leading Muslim sheikhs, teachers from Egypt. He's the leading Wahhabi, which is the strictest form of Islam, Sunni Islam. He's the leading Wahhabi sheikh in Egypt. And he's moved over to Salafism. He's been a Salafist pre- preacher the last number of years. He spent time in jail arrested by the government for his radical views and his teaching. He's on the, he's on the internet. He did, he's been on TV. When Morsi, his good friend, got pres- given the presidency in Egypt, this guy was one of the leading religious voices in Egypt. And now he's in a meeting in Erbil that's focused on Jesus. What is he doing here? The Holy Spirit is at work in this man's life. The Holy Spirit has dropped a seed into his life of faith. And he is now responding to the gospel. He is saying yes to Jesus. It's gonna cost him everything. Can't go back to his country. Can't go back anywhere in the Middle East. He is, he is floating in no man's land, and he is praying for God's protection. On the third night, he was at the front. He got set free from all kinds of spiritual darkness in his life, and he experienced the feeling of Jesus, his peace. I, I just, this was a beautiful, beautiful moment as this guy got set free and filled with the presence of Jesus. I love the work of the Holy Spirit. I love the work of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing. The person who you've just totally written off, who is like, just you think, there's no way that person could give their lives to Jesus. Oh, yeah? God is at work in the most unsuspecting places. The Holy Spirit, first of all, conceives. It's the Holy Spirit who conceives that seed of faith within our lives. Notice verse two, Nicodemus says, no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. Nicodemus has been watching Jesus. He's been watching the signs, he's been seeing the miracles, he's been listening to the teaching, and a seed of faith has been planted in his heart, and the Holy Spirit's working inside. It's a hidden work, it's inside, but he's got questions. I want you to know if you're here with questions this morning, Central Heights is a safe place to ask your questions. 
A seed of faith takes time to grow. A seed of faith takes time to grow. It germinates, it grows. We have questions. That's good. That's good. Nicodemus came to Jesus with his questions. Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent him draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. So this drawing work of the Holy Spirit is a miracle. God's drawing you. Some of us are far, some of us are near. Some of us have experienced new birth. Where are we in this miraculous story of salvation? Where are you? I think of the Apostle Paul. I was reading in the book of Acts this last week and Acts 26 or 25, I think it is, he's talking to King Agrippa. He's sharing his testimony and he describes what happened on the Damascus Road and he describes this bright light knocking him off his horse And then a voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads or the goad. I think the Spirit of God was at work in Paul's life actively before the Damascus Road conversion. I don't think it was just a suddenly. An ox goad is a pointed stick that you use to give the oxen a, just a, a sharp you know, prick when he's not doing what you want him to do. Stubborn, ornery creatures, you just give him a sharp little poke. I think Paul got poked a lot by the Holy Spirit before his Damascus Road encounter with Jesus. He's a contemporary of Jesus. Why wasn't Paul in the temple when Jesus was teaching? Why wasn't he aware of all of Jesus's you know, miracles and ministry. Of course he was. He saw it all, but he saw it as a threat. A threat to everything he had staked his life on. A threat to the Mosaic system. Paul was 100% behind the Sanhedrin. In fact, he was so behind them, after the death of Jesus, he was arresting people who had experienced the Acts 2 Pentecost, the whole birth of the church. He was looking to take these people out, arrest and kill them. I believe the Holy Spirit was poking Paul, poking Paul, poking Paul, and finally he knocked him right off his horse and said, I've got your attention now, don't I? And the man who was the greatest opponent to the church became its greatest ambassador. Never write off people who are opposing the gospel. You have no idea what's going on inside their life. Holy Spirit could be poking them, poking them. A seed of faith could have been planted and something's growing, but it's a hidden work. Never write people off. I was on a plane, like I said, this summer in a few different places. I was going from North Africa to Turkey, and I met this Arab businessman on the plane. He needed some help with his overhead luggage, and so I put it up there, and then he said, where are you from? Canada. I said, Canada. Canada. He said, uh, I like Canada. I said, why? It's a peaceful place, okay? Not always, but it is, yeah. I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from airplanes. I said, what? That's not really an answer. 
Where did you, where did, were you born? Where do you, where do you grow up? Southern Lebanon. All right. You're Muslim. Yep. Okay. I said, where are you going? Kiev. What are you going to do there? I'm meeting with a Jewish rabbi who's flying in from New York City. I'm helping the Jewish community rehabilitate their cemeteries in Eastern Europe. What? He said, yeah, I want to work towards peace in our region. Is one of the ways I can do that. He said, I met with the, uh, the cultural affairs minister in Tunisia yesterday. I want to take the abandoned synagogue, the big synagogue downtown Tunis, and convert it into a cultural center, fix it up so it can be a place of culture and music and whatever to bring the community together. Why are you doing this again? Because I want to work towards peace in our region. I said, I'm going to a peace camp in northern Iraq. I'm bringing some leaders together. In fact, my daughter was just at the border of Syria and Turkey at a peace camp, and I said, uh, you know, it's amazing what, what God does in those spaces. He said, uh, do you ever document that? I said, yeah. So I got a flash drive, put it in his computer, showed him a video from last summer's peace camp, and he started crying. One minute into this video, he's crying. He says, what is this? I've never heard of this. How do I get involved? How do I support this? Chatted for a little bit. He went back to his seat. He came back to me. And I, he said, I, I gotta, I've got to do, I've got to work with you. I, I want to be a part of what I've just seen on that video. God, I believe, gives us opportunities to identify people of peace. Jesus said, when you go into a place, a house, maybe a new relationship, proclaim my peace. Peace be upon you. And if someone responds to that, that's a good indication the grace of God's already at work in their life. A good indication that I'm already doing a work there. Work with them. And if, you're, if they're a man of peace, their peace will rest on them. If not, it's going to come back to you. Shake your feet off. Dust your feet. It's not just a great way to greet people. It's actually a mission strategy. It's a, and it's not just words. It's a spiritual reality. People can sense the peace of God. It's a powerful thing. It's a spiritual reality. Let's pray for this guy. He actually ended up in our house this fall for a week. My wife was wondering how that happened, but... He came to our house for a week. In fact, he was sitting with me right over there, two weekends in a row, listening to the gospel in this place. He said, I'd never, ever thought I'd be in a church. He was here. You might be here this morning trying to figure out what's going on here. God's drawing you. There's a reason you're here this morning. There's a reason you're here this morning. A seed of faith can be planted in your life and that's what the Holy Spirit does. I was uh, with my parents and my brothers and sisters for a few days, my dad's 80th birthday, Southern Ontario. And uh, oh yeah, there's our friend Afif, made us some pizza. Pray for this guy, pray for Afif, because he's a man of peace and I believe he's on his way to know Jesus. By the way, when he left our house, he said, I'm no longer a Muslim. I'm not a Muslim anymore. I'm in this open space, I don't know what I believe very interested in Jesus, 
prayed with him many times, many times. He's still texting me right now. And he's saying, pray for me. Let's pray for a thief that he would know Jesus. Anyways, next slide. I uh, went on a family thing in my dad's 80th birthday. Yeah, there's salmon spawning in the river right behind this house we rented. That little, have you ever seen salmon spawn? That's a miracle. A miracle of conception. Yeah. You'd be saying the same thing. I mean, it's incredible. These guys have been on a hundreds of kilometer long journey. They go back to the place they were born. And I'm watching them all day long. They're positioning for that moment. They're positioning for that moment. A female comes in. She's over top of the, this uh, gravel bed. And she, she doesn't lie over. She's just she's getting ready. This went on for hours. I know. I did watch this for a long time. She comes over. And then there's a guy. There's a, there's a big male. He's the biggest male. The whole, he, he clears all the other guys out. He's protecting her. She goes out. She comes back. Goes out. Comes back. Finally, she does that. And she drops her eggs, and then he fertilizes, and a bunch of the other guys, I noticed, jumped in on the action. But uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. Conception is a miracle. And if we understood the biology of all of our, all of our conceptions, physically now, you would realize it's a miracle. It is a miracle. The Holy Spirit gives conception, brings us to conception. And if that seed of faith is inside of your life, it's growing, it's alive, it's alive. The Holy Spirit conceives. I notice secondly, that the Holy Spirit gives new birth. Jesus says to this Jewish leader, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. The only way we enter the kingdom of God is to experience spiritual rebirth. No one will enter the kingdom unless he is born again. I don't think you slide in. Everyone who's been through a birth experience knows it. It's traumatic. It's crazy. You go from one reality to another. It's painful. It's messy. You're in a new dimension of reality. You know whether this has happened to you or not. It's a miracle. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us through into that new birth experience. A little history here. 500 years ago, this coming Tuesday, Catholic priest named Martin Luther tacked 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Church, and he announced his theological perspectives. Summary, salvations by faith, the Bible is the final authority. They wanted to kill him for that. Lots of conflict. It threatened the authority of the Catholic Church. It launched something called the Protestant Reformation. 500th year anniversary this week. Uh, unfortunately, it, it, it continued uh, uh, a system of state church, and there was still uh, infant baptism. So over the next 10 years, a bunch of reformers took it further. They were called the Radical Reformation. They said, you're baptized on the confession of your faith. You gotta be old enough to know what you're doing. And then they said, not only are there a few priests or leaders, it's the priesthood of all believers. And so everyone 
is called a priest. Everyone is responsible to know and follow Jesus and live on mission. Every one of us have got assignments. And uh, for this, they were persecuted, killed by their Calvinist and Lutheran and Catholic neighbors. They chased them up into northern Prussia and then a bunch of them went over to the Ukraine and that's where some of our spiritual forefathers uh, came from. Uh, and they were a quiet period for a couple hundred years, not a lot going on. And in 1860, there was another revival. A lot more people became born again. And it was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that's when this tribe called the Mennonite Brethren were birthed and, over 150 years ago. New births are messy. They often require new wineskins. When God pours out his spirit, it takes a new container, sometimes a new structure, to contain what he's doing. It's the work of the Holy Spirit to keep birthing new expressions of his kingdom. And his work in our lives is a miracle. Jesus said we must be born of water and the spirit. So what does that mean? Ezekiel chapter 36 gives us, I think, a scripture related to this to help us understand it. Ezekiel 36, 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Until this point where the Pentecost experience happened, the Holy Spirit was given in certain times and to certain people. And it was, it, the Holy Spirit was poured out, but it wasn't a, a, a remaining. It wasn't a transforming remaining work in the lives of people. It would be described as an external anointing for callings and tasks and purposes. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit indwelt those who knew and followed Jesus. And this is our experience in, uh, in the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit has been given to indwell us. And when you experience the presence and work of the Holy Spirit, one of the things you notice is you feel clean. You feel clean. And if that's been your experience, if you look back at your salvation, one of the things that will happen when the Holy Spirit indwells you is you suddenly feel like somebody gave you a shower on the inside. Cleans us up. He's the Holy Spirit. He will convict us of sin. Keep short accounts in terms of our, our, our relationship with God. Things that God does not like, the Holy Spirit will make that very clear to us and you'll be convicted. If you're not convicted and if what I'm describing to you is not real, you gotta ask yourself, is the Holy Spirit at work in my life? Because this is one of the expressions of his presence he cleans us up. Titus chapter three, verse five. He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Jesus went on to say, spirit gives birth to spirit, flesh gives birth to, to flesh. 
We can't birth something in the flesh and then ask God to bless it by his spirit. So when God births something and a spiritual new life is born, the way to describe that you've probably heard before is our spirit is connected to the Holy Spirit like an electrical cord that's plugged into the wall and a circuit now is transmitted our spirit connected to the Holy Spirit, we now become spiritually alive and connected and communing with God. Spirit gives birth to spirit. Salvation doesn't just happen in our mind. It's not just intellectual agreement or assent to a body of truth. It's not just something we we know to be true. It's also a transforming work of our spirit, which is reborn within us. It changes how we think. It changes our wants, our desires. I was working one summer when I was uh, in college. I was young, like 20, 21. And I got hired by uh, this conference to work in a church plant. Only had a few families in this church plant. Truth be known, they were all leaving and going to some other church or some other place. And so this, my job, this is a pathetic thing to hire a college kid for, but my job was to transition the church into the end of its like last chapter. So this is a struggling church plant. My job is to help these people find other places. So they all have jobs. So what do you do during the day? I'm thinking, I'm gonna go share the gospel with some people. So I, I go to the corner store and there's a bunch of guys, one guy's holding the football. So I say, hey guys, you ever throw that around or you just hold it? And uh, they said, no, we, we throw it around. I said, well, let's throw it. So we start playing football. We have a little game of football. We have some fun. And then they, they say like, you know, let's, let's keep playing. So we, we played a number of times. I got to know the leader of that little group, 16-year-old guy who's a football player. He was an, he was an Iraqi immigrant kid. We became friends. That same summer, I'm, I'm the youth leader of an evangelism, like a, an outreach event that was bringing all the churches together in the Niagara Peninsula. So my job is to get hundreds of young people there, some youth speaker, youth band, and some other guys doing the overall speaking, and it's gonna fill an arena in the Niagara Peninsula. So I'm working at that. Finally, the event happens, and I got this this. 16-year-old kid from Hamilton, and I said, hey, you want to go to these meetings? He said, what's it about? I said, it's about um, Jesus. He's like, yeah, okay, you know, that's interesting. Um, Okay, if you want to go, I'll go with you. So he comes with me. So we're sitting in the back, and uh, he's here in the gospel, and then there's a chance to respond. Come on, receive prayer. I look over at him. He looks over at me and I say, what do you think? He's not saying too much. I'm like, what do you think? And I can tell he wants to please me. And he's gonna go forward if I ask him to. And so what do I do? I just go, hey, let's go. So we walk up to the front and this guy receives follow-up card, I get, you know, I pray with him, there's another counselor around there. And so anyways, I'm excited because he prayed with me. 
Next week, I spend time with him. I'm trying to help him learn what it means to follow Jesus now. All he wants to do is play football. He doesn't want to read. He doesn't want to pray. He wants to play football. And so do I. You know what I realized? This guy wasn't ready. This guy wasn't ready. He was a preemie. He was a spiritually premature birth. And now we got a problem because he's like stillborn. Ouch. I went back to university that fall and uh, I was in the library cramming for midterms. Um, I believe in cramming. So I was in this intense three hour right before the midterm in the library, in a study carousel, kind of in the closed down posture, looking over my books like, don't talk to me. My friend Jim, who I played football with in high school, who I haven't talked to in years, comes walking by. He's like, hey, Randy. How are you doing, Jim? I'm studying. Uh, Randy, I heard you went on a backpacking trip. Yeah, I did. Uh, what happened? What? I said, a lot of stuff happened. It was a, it was a really good trip, like I, a lot of adventures. What? Like what? So he's asking me questions. I'm telling him, and finally I said, Jim, the thing that really changed my life is I met Jesus. What? I said, yeah, it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, I met Jesus, and he, it's totally changed me. What does that mean? For the next hour and a half, he's asking me questions about what that means. I keep looking at my watch and looking at my notes and thinking, I'm not going to pass this thing. I know I'm not going to pass this thing. But he's got questions. Finally, I said, Jim, I got to go and write a test right now. We'll, we'll, we'll finish this some other time. Only we didn't finish it. And the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me finish it. I'd pass him in the hallway, and the Lord would just caution me from like, I, I'd say, Hi. The Lord said, your job is to pray for him. My job is to save him. You pray for him. Okay, I'm going to pray. Now, there was times when I wanted to, I wanted, I want to look him up in the cafeteria and say, hey, Jim, let's, let's finish that conversation. No, don't do that. Five months of praying for Jim. It's the end of March. He sees me in the hallway, comes up to me. He's like, Randy, we haven't finished that conversation. I'm like, yeah, I know, shoot. He's like, can I go to church with you? Yep. This weekend is a big one. It's called Easter. He said, uh, what, so what, what does that mean? I said, we're going to put people into a tank. We're going to put them totally under. Like, they're going to get totally underwater. What? I said, I know, it's crazy. It's totally crazy. Just, you got to come. So he comes Easter Sunday morning, and he gave his life to Jesus that afternoon. It was amazing. But he's watching this whole thing happen, and then he came to our house for lunch, and then he's in my bedroom for the whole afternoon just asking questions. I couldn't have held him back from giving his life to Jesus. He was a full-term, newborn Christ follower. He was totally ready. 
And I learned something about the gestation period of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is doing a work in our lives. When we interfere with that work, we we sometimes short circuit a full term new birth. If you're here this morning, like I said, and you got questions and you're not ready, you're not ready. You'll know when you're ready. The cost is everything. It's your life. You die, Christ now lives through you. This is the gospel. The gospel is you get a a brand new life, but your old life is over. It's no longer about you anymore. It sounds radical, it sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, that that is the essence of the gospel. You give up your life, Jesus gives you his life. It's full exchange, all in. All in or nothing. When you're a preemie baby and you're stillborn, it's really hard to disciple people like that. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to share their faith. They don't want to pray. They don't even want to go to church. They're here because someone else invited them and they want to, they want to please them. But there's not the reality of this new birth in their lives. You know when you've been born again. It changes everything. Everything. The Holy Spirit gives new birth. I love Finney's revivals. He'd hang people out to, I mean, seemingly hang them out to dry. He would have them at the anxious bench 100 years ago. Finney's revivals were different than our current evangelism strategies, very different. Do the research, look into it, very different. He'd have people at the front and they'd ask their questions. He'd have them come back night after night asking their questions and he wouldn't take them across the line. He asked the Holy Spirit to do that. He'd say, write down all your sins, write down all the things that have grieved God, Take, a, take, a, take, take the time, get it all right out there, and then when you're ready to surrender all of that stuff, you do, you, do, you, know, you do your business with God. It's not that he wouldn't pray with people. It's just that he didn't want to short circuit the work of the Holy Spirit. The retention rate one year later, people in church on his revivals, this is what I've heard, 80% are in church a year later. Current evangelism strategies, 4%, 3% a year later are still in church. When the Holy Spirit brings you through that gestation period, you know you are born again. Lastly, the Holy Spirit testifies to new life. Jesus says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, you can't see wind, but you can see the wind going through trees. You can see it going through grass. You can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in somebody's life. And that evidence is unmistakable. He changes the way we think. He changes our desires, our impulses. He changes our speech, our actions. Everything about your life is in a process of sanctification and transformation. The Holy Spirit's evidenced in how you live your life. People should look at our lives and go, that life does not make sense without God's presence inside of them. Something is different about them. The Holy Spirit's work is evident. 
He testifies to this new life, kind of like those thermals that I was describing at the start. There's some unseen power at work within us, more powerful than the downward pull of gravity and sin. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? If this is real in your life, thank God, you've experienced a miracle. If this is not real in your life, something inside of you should be getting very curious right now. You should be saying, I want, I want this. I want the reality of God's presence in my life. I want to know the experience of what he's talking about. I pray a seed of faith has been planted inside of you that starts growing. And some of you are here this morning and that seed has been growing for a long time. And today could be your day where we get to birth coach you and just walk alongside as you enter the kingdom of God. It's a special day. I want to invite the band to come on out as we close here this morning. We want to honor the Holy Spirit's work in all of our lives, wherever he is at work, in whatever stage we are in our spiritual journey. We want to honor and submit to the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're here this morning and you're saying, Jesus, I'm choosing to follow you. I understand what this means. I'm choosing to follow you. And I'm asking for that. The reality of your Holy Spirit's work inside of me, I want all of it. I would love to pray with you. There'll be other people here at the front who will be willing to pray with you. And if you're not quite there yet, you keep asking your questions. You keep having your late night conversations with Jesus. He's got lots of time for us. Continue to allow the Holy Spirit to work out your salvation and to grow this seed of faith into a full-term new birth. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you sent your spirit to indwell us and to take us into this experience of salvation, that we could enter your kingdom, a completely different uh, reality. And I'm asking, Father, for that miracle of faith to be planted in the lives of whoever here has not experienced it yet. Lord, you know where each one of us are at and you, you, you see the interior of our lives. And I ask, Father, for your, your, your spirit to be at work in, in, in intense and ongoing and deeper ways in each one of us, Lord. Take us further. For those, those of us who know you, who have, who have said yes to you and experienced your indwelling presence, I ask you to continue to sanctify us and allow the, the glory of God to increase within us that people would see and notice you're at work. And for some of us who aren't at that place yet, continue to cause this seed of faith to grow. And Lord, for those who are ready this morning to surrender their lives to you, I want to say thank you in advance. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. As the band leads us in a closing chorus, I'm just going to invite uh, all of us to stand and, and uh, as we're worshiping, if you want to receive prayer for 
uh, this invitation for salvation or any other item, please uh, make use of our prayer team at the front and I'd love to pray with you. So just as the band is, is leading us, I invite you to come forward.